this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, speaking of the patrons, we have one who has been joining us for many a year. Previously, he's brought to us such bands as Collective Soul, Dig, The Verve Pipe, Violetine, Nada Surf, <laughs> Nada, Nada, and then was Local H your pick or or Steve's pick? That was Steve's, but he wanted but were, me to be on it with him. You were on with him. Yeah. That's right. Welcome back, Dewey Cole. Those were all of your picks. Very representative of the. I like that it's um. You know, you started out with Violetine. We're like, oh, what's What's this? Because that was kind of an obscure Australian record that not a lot of people know. But we, we cut a nice swath through the alternative sound of the of the United States with these uh, last four picks or five picks with Local H. Uh, so, is it time for another obscure Australian album, or what are you throwing at us this time? Why don't you share your your album pick? So, yeah, so these guys are not from Australia, at least not that I know of anyway. Um, so I, when I was about 15, my buddy played me the Motley Crue 1994 album, which I know you guys covered probably five or six years ago. I want to <laughs> say it might be more than that. Yeah. It's yeah. It may, it may have been like seven years ago. It was a long, I remember you did it because I was excited to see that you it's did on, it. It's only on cassette that that show. Yeah. That's how old it is. <laughs> But uh, I fell in love with that when I was like 15. That was my introduction. You're going to think this is crazy, but that was kind of my introduction to Motley Crue was that tape because my buddy had it in his cassette player. He had a 66 Chevelle and he had this Mm, like he had this really he had this uh, cassette deck that was called the Sunk Young, some really shitty quality cassette deck in his car. And the only cassette in this in this thing was Motley 94. And we listened to that every day for like two years <laughs> i mean that's all we listened to we just loved that loved that album to death so when john left motley crew in 1996 when vince came back we were kind of like well what's john gonna do so we kind of followed john to his next project and that was union which is what we're talking about today yes so yeah so that's how i got into union initially and what we're going to discuss how much uh hearing damage that's that uh would you say it was a Chevelle? It was a 66 Chevelle, but he, he, uh, when he bought it, he bought it when he was in high school and, uh, it had one of those aftermarket cassette decks that was, in it, cause it obviously didn't come. It right. just had an well, radio. When it, I'm imagining that was like, probably like, um, amped up a little bit. It wasn't the best sound quality. It was always played at 11. Yeah. And, and uh, your young years were probably brutalized like mine were yeah he sold that <laughs> with, he, ba- with he, he bad had, sound systems and classic he, muscle cars he, he kept that car all the way till about a year and a half ago and he sold it with that same cassette deck still in there <laughs> was the so. cassette in there uh yeah he still had the cassette too still had it awesome yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah, we went to a Smashing Pumpkins show and on the Melancholy Tour, and they handed out these stickers when we walked in the door that said Melancholy Infinite Sadness Tour 1997. It was in Toledo at Savage Hall. And he actually got, we got that sticker when we walked in the door and he put it inside his glove box where his cassettes were. That sticker was still there when he sold it. I'm like, <laughs> that's part of our childhood, man. Right. It was the Melancholy wow. Tour. That was one of the greatest shows ever. That's so cool. Yeah. Jay, uh, were you familiar with Union? I was. Um, so this came out. So I'm a fan of the 94 crew album. Um, I like Dewey was curious on what he was going to do after there. There was a kind of a good, what are we talking like three year span there where they were w- rumored to be working on a second album with him and then things kind of fell apart. And then uh, I remember he started this project and I'm also a big kiss fan. So I was always following what kiss was doing and their soap opera. Um, the weird thing is, is I didn't, it also hit at a time where I was really like, just hitting new things. Like I was looking for new music. I was kind of like losing a little bit of interest in some of this, some of these artists, um, by the second half of the nineties, I just never got around to getting it. Um, so hadn't really heard it. I mean, I kind of knew what to expect uh knowing bruce could look pretty well and knowing um john Krabi from the motley crew and the, even the scream album uh but had never listened to it oddly enough did you ever hear old man wise the single no oh wow i mean if i did i don't remember you know right i was not familiar with this at all i knew it existed because i had seen that name but i had never listened to it and i wasn't really sure who was involved um, so let me ask you guys before we get started, what version of this album did you listen to? Because the original version um, is 11 songs, I believe. And now the streaming version on Spotify has 12 songs, but there's also another version which has 13 songs. Oh boy. I have the 12 song version that ends with the Beatles cover. Okay. Oh, shit. I only have the 11. I just have the original CD from 1998, so I have 11 songs. Okay. So have you actually heard that Beatles cover? No, but it's funny that you bring this up because this just came in the mail this week. The Um, vinyl reissue? Yeah, I probably can't see it with my background, but it's the vinyl reissue that just came this week, and it's got um, Oh Darling, Walking Mm -hmm. in Your Sleep, For You, and then Love I Don't Need It Anymore Acoustic. So I will listen to the bonus tracks eventually. It literally just came yesterday. Well, then we should probably uh, leave the the Beatles cover off, Jay, from our discussion, because it wasn't a part of the original album, and Dewey didn't listen to it. it. I'm sure it's great. I've heard John do it solo acoustic, and he always does a great job, but I've never heard the actual studio version. We will wipe it from our minds. Doesn't exist. What what Beatles song? Who are the Beatles? Never heard Not of familiar. Them. Nope. Uh, so, let a little history on this band. History of the band. As mentioned, they uh, formed because of uh, Mr. Bruce Kulick of Kiss and um, John Karabi, formerly of Motley Crue at that point, got together with couple of studio guys, James Hunting, who had played with David Lee Roth and Eddie Money, and him on bass, and then drummer Brent Fitz, who had played with Slash. 
Um, I don't know if he played with Slash before or after this, but that's his his other. Um, uh, I think he plays with Slash now too. Oh, he does. Okay. Yes. He's played with other people. He's played with like Vince Miles Neal, Kennedy, Gene Simmons. Yep. Yeah. Guess who? Who? Alice Cooper for a long time. Who? We got. It seems like we have an owl in the <laughs> podcast. Do you mean the Guess Who? The band, the Guess Who? Oh, the band, the Guess Who. You thought I said Guess Who? So this was released February. 24th, 1998 on Mayhem Records, which I am not familiar with. It was produced by Kurt Cuomo and Hmm. followed up in 2000 by the album The Blue Room, which was released on Spitfire Records, and that was was produced by Bob Marlett. So, what did our patrons think about this record? We'll get to the poll in a, in a minute, but we had some comments. Scott Witt said, this is such a great album. Karabi and Kulik were great together. Any chance it had was done in by being on a tiny label. I think I Don't Love You Anymore could easily be a hit country song today. Definitely. Kyle Bittner said, this was a surprising listen. I've never heard it before. But I love the hard rock edge mixed with early 90s Seattle sound. It reminded me of War Babies, one of my favorite 90s hard rock albums. Also, is it just me or does the opening guitar of Pain Behind Your Eyes sound similar to the guitar tone of Collective Souls' December? Darren Lehman said... "What? Not just the tone, it's the... (laughs) It's the notes, too. The the notes, the tone, yeah. Yeah uh darren lehman said i liked that album i liked that the album was straight up no frills rock and roll i was surprised to read who was in the band to read who the band consisted of and even more pleasantly surprised to hear that the record doesn't sound overproduced it was nice a nice listen but nothing really grabbed me by the eardrums it made me think wow so i'd rank it as a solid ep bill davidson said sounds like very competent hard rock to me not my cup of tea but not bad at all unfortunately probably ended up in a lot of record store cutout bins. Funny, though, how many of my favorite albums ended up there, too. And Richard Waterman said, Billy Boy, this is exactly my cup of tea. I, I don't know why he said it with a southern accent, but... Um, <laughs> love Karabi's other band, The Scream. People should check that band out, too. I'm with Kyle when he says he loves the hard rock edge mixed with the 90s grunge and mid-90s post-grunge. Pain Behind the Eyes and Let It Flow are my favorite tracks. Guitar does sound like December at the start. This kind of sound on a rock album is ideal for me, raw but with a bit of polish, and it's meaty, full, and honest sounding. The second album, The Blue Room, isn't or is really good too. Worthy album. All right, let's get into it, Jay. Tell me one thing you liked about Union by Union. Not to split hairs, but this album probably didn't get enough distribution to even uh, hit hit the cutout bins. <laughs> right, that's, exactly. That's true. I had to specially order it from my yeah. record, from my local record store when it came out. So, yeah, I mean, it's a cool mix of classic, tough, you know, hard rock. But obviously, they're taking influence, just like Molly Crew did in 94, from what's going on around them. So you're hearing this interesting, like, 
clash or not clash, but combination of, um, you know, the big riffs, anthemic chords, you know, hooks, gruff classic rock vocal, but with like tuned down guitars, parts, um, even tones. And I think the drumming is also very 90s at times. Uh, it's really good. It reminds me a lot of Eric Singer, but it has that, some of the beats have some of that, um, the early Pearl Jam kind of feel that the first couple records, especially in choruses and stuff, like, it, I don't know how to explain it. There's like a, almost like a, not a gallop, but kind of a um, particular kind of feel to some of the chorus and stuff. Uh, but it's super competent, you know, drumming, really cool fills. It's punchy. So it's a good, straightforward, for the most part, hard rock record that has some 90s feel. I think what's most interesting, though, is when they really, you know, kind of merge those together around a really compelling hook, you know? So I think songs like um, Around Again, Get Off My Cloud, um, Love, I Don't Need It Anymore, Tangerine, like really strong melodically. And then, you know, musically, there's this cool hybrid going on between kind of 70s and 90s and a little bit of 80s in there too, in terms of maybe the vocal more. Uh, the guitar playing, I think, is what probably brings a lot of people to the record. Some of the solos and are really probably some of Bruce Kulick's best solos. Um, I'm thinking of Around Again as a good example. Eastern feel almost, but the tone is this searing, like um, effect overdriven tone that it almost sounds like it's burning right through the amp. Like it just sounds so loud and overdriven. It's a really cool solo and just tone. Um, and obviously the vocals, if you have heard the 94 crew record, you know what John Karabi sounds like. You know, he's pretty much doing that here, maybe a little bit more melodic. Um, love to hear him sing. He's got a absolutely original voice. Like when you hear him, it's no doubt it's him. I think the last thing I'll say though is like, while all those is, I think all those things are what bring you to the record. I think what makes it work when it does is actually the bass and drums, like really tight, cool parts, heavy grooves. Um, the bass tone is at times really interesting like 
kind of gritty and you know playing a little bit a lot of movement um playing some really cool uh parts that lock up with the drums and then that one of the rhythm guitars um so i think it's a really solid you know rock sound and then kind of got the karabi thing going on vocally but um this cool duality between grungy 90s and at times almost like power pop 70s um choruses and sounds you know they even do some like beatles-esque harmonies in here that that come in um in a couple tunes so just a lot of cool styles thrown together held together by you know really good musicians what do you think tim there's a lot i like about this record um i was trying to place it because you know it's 98 what is it 98 when this comes out and some of the guitar playing you hear you know allison chains um it's got that whatever it is that a lot of bands picked out in jerry cantrell's playing that's that's present here but it's not like in the way that like Godsmack or other other bands turned it into these dirges and these like overly heavy riffs they just incorporate it so that you know a lot of these are not far off from like the the motley crew album that we reviewed um in terms of sound and in terms of riffs and stuff like that um what i think was caught me off guard is i i don't know bruce Kulick kulik that well as a guitar player like 80s kiss is not my <laughs> forte um so i'm Blast only for me I, I i know i'm sorry that i don't have rise to it you don't uh, know what you're missing uh on regular rotation anyway you have to be the biggest kiss nerd ever to spend any time with 80s kiss right i forgive you so listening to this i was you mentioned i think let it flow earlier um there's parts in that song where i was like this sounds like like big wreck like there's there's these interesting riffs and choices and voicings there's when they hit like the four and a half minute mark of that song and it goes into this real heavy driving riff i'm like that's that sounds like the oaf like it's got it's not the same exact jangle that but it's got that um eastern kind of scale that that he uses Mm -hmm. sometimes so i was i i I found it interesting from that perspective is because he you know you think of kiss in the 80s i'm thinking of you know insane acrobatic you know glam metal guitar Mm -hmm. and then i'm listening to this and i'm going well this is more like jerry cantrell and ian thornley than any of that um and then i started to hear some like some jimmy page-ish stuff there were some things that reminded me of like zeppelin-esque zeppelin-esque uh riffs um i i don't think um i fully appreciated karabi as well as maybe i should have when we reviewed the motley crew record i think i've maybe come to appreciate him more as a vocalist over time so i think their pairing works really well here because karabi it's karabi's interesting he has a distinct voice but I don't know that I could ever pick it out. You know what I mean? Mm. Like when I hear him, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. Like I can tell this is John Krabi. But if you were to play this like in a bar, I don't know that I would go, oh, this is that John Krabi band Union. 
like it it kind of works as kind of nondescript but then he can really do some interesting things as a vocalist you mentioned about the harmonies and whatnot i think everybody on this everybody who plays sings mm-hmm. on this um and there are some really great harmonies that are not really expected from a band of made up of these members you over know. morning wind yeah So there was a, I mean, there was a lot that was liked, but I'm like UJ. I there was no way I would have heard this in 1998. A, it's on a small label, and B, I was on the complete opposite end of my music spectrum at this point. I'm like yeah. listening to, you know, weird electronic music and action rock from Sweden that you're feeding me and Manic Street Preacher, like second wave Britpop, yeah. and so there was. I wasn't listening to any like. Hard, anything hard rock connected except for maybe like buck cherry <laughs> i did have the, I, I did have the first buck cherry album i really liked it too I, oh yeah the when they came out it, it was a i remember that being a jolt it was like whoa okay we're back we're back yeah. to the rock stuff i mean i would have been open to this um at the time i mean i was interested in it i just priority wise like had just graduated college or was in college and you're like there's only so much music I can buy right now. So, and this wasn't at Best Buy. I'm guessing right. like this isn't going to be a, one of those cheap sales on the end end cap at Best Buy. Right. You're going to have to go search this out. You're probably going to have to be reading. I don't know. Metal it was Edge. like Metal Edge was, around still in in '98 yeah. or had it moved online yet? Was it or was there a bad? Uh, wasn't Metal ASCII Sledge art uh, Metal Edge magazine? The buzz about this was a '97 um, because I I used to get Metal Edge all the time. That yeah, was because that was pre that was pre internet. So if you if you wanted to find out about metal bands, rock bands, classic rock, you'd have to read Metal Edge, Circus, Hit Parader. But I always had Metal Edge because it was always the best to me. And they would always put they would always have stuff about Union. So I knew it was coming from the summer of '97. Um, I think it came out early '98. So it was already it was already there was already articles on it, interviews, kind of prepping the record, and then I had to actually special order it through record company or a record um store called allied records in toledo they specially ordered it for me and my friend but yeah it wasn't something that you would see in an end cap at best buy i don't think i ever saw it at best buy yeah what works for you dewey what what draws you into this record well before i get into that i wanted to say um, a lot of people don't know this some people do but some don't and i'm not sure if this is true because when nikki six talks he sometimes just spouts a lot of shit because he likes to hear himself talk so much. Right. But he has said in past interviews that he was the one that introduced John to Bruce um, during the recording of Generation Swine. Because what happened was 
when they brought Vince back, which was essentially forced by management, the band didn't want to bring Vince back. Um, no matter what the movie The Dirt says, that's complete bullshit. Management wanted to bring Vince back because they wanted the band to make money. So they let John hang around and teach Vince how to sing these songs that he was writing with the band. And Nikki was the one that actually introduced John to Bruce during these sessions. So John and Bruce formed a friendship and then started writing together uh, shortly thereafter. And that's kind of the genesis of Union. That's how it started. And and Bruce so. was looking for work because he got the a similar situation, got the boot from Kiss. It was 96. Time. Yeah, it was right <laughs> when Motley was doing Swine and yep. Kiss was doing Reunion. So, yeah, so they both kind of found each other because their bands deserted them, which is really sad because they're both great in their respected bands. Yep. Um, I think we've talked about Revenge before, how amazing that album is. and Bruce I is think, playing. Yeah, I think Carnival of Souls is the probably the closest to this one it's yep i mean it's yeah time the, line wise at, but also at the time it was only bootlegged at the time if you remember because it yeah. came out years later if i remember like 98 99 yeah it out like terrible cover with yeah like in the studio but at the time it was only available on like bootleg because it was never released at least at the era that uh john and bruce met each other but yeah you're exactly right this is his guitar is closest to carnival of souls on this union record but anyway, so I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way so people would understand how this kind of started, because that started from leaving Motley and then leaving Kiss and then getting together. Um, I, I fell in love with the record. The first single, which was called Old Man Wise. Actually, I did hear it on, on the radio. Uh, my local radio station in Toledo that I think I've mentioned before. You guys remember Buzz was 6.5. Oh, yeah. They would have these. Um, what was it called? It wasn't called a cage match. It was like a buzz brawl, I think is what it was called. It was the buzz brawl. And it was like every night that they would do these songs, they would face these songs off. Do you remember that? Do you guys remember? And people the buzz would call brawl? in to vote for the song. Yeah, you can call in and you can vote for like the, your favorite song of the two. And this is pre-Twitter. So you knew people weren't blowing up the, the votes on Twitter. It was actually phone calls, you know, because whenever they do those now on the radio, like the Blitz will do it here in Columbus. There's obviously Facebook groups that are going on Twitter and overloading the votes. So this, these certain bands will win. But back in those days, it was actually people calling and, and voting for songs. And this was featured when it was first released as a single, which honestly, I don't remember how far in advance of the album it was, probably at least one or two months. And it actually won a couple nights. And we were really excited. My buddy Joel and I were really excited to hear it because it was the first thing we were hearing from John since Motley 94. And I did love Generation Swine. I know that there's a couple couple stinkers on there um, for the most part, but I did love that record. And John had a lot to do with a couple songs like Let Us Pray, um, which is on that record. And I would have loved to have him hear him sing that because he actually wrote the song. Um, so this is the first time that we're actually hearing him do something on his own with with the new band. So it was very excited, a very exciting time for us to hear it. And I was blown away by the song. It was heavy. It was melodic. Um, it was pretty much everything I expected expected to hear from him. So from hearing that song, I think we even taped it on the radio, if I remember correctly, because it was on a second night. Um, really excited. Ordered the record. When we got the record, turned it up, played it. I think every song we pretty much loved. I mean, I don't from the first listen because that's how much I love John Karabi. I love I love his vocal stylings. I love his playing. 
Um, honestly, at the time, I wasn't super familiar with Bruce yet outside of Kiss Unplugged. Like I remember seeing him on Kiss Unplugged, but I wasn't super, I wasn't a huge Kiss fan when I was younger. Um, I kind of got into them in my 20s. So at the time, I was 17 when this record came out. I really didn't know much about Bruce, but I knew I loved the guitar. I loved the solos. I loved the tone. Um, and it's kind of funny because I'll go back to this album years later. I mean, I still come back to it at least once a year. But you guys mentioned Let It Flow. Is it Let It Flow? Yeah, I think yeah. it's Let It Flow. Um, that's one song that actually I didn't really love. I wasn't enamored with the song early on, but lately I really love it now. Like, it's kind of funny. This album kind of just, there's certain songs that pop back up years later that I'm like, I forgot how great the song is, or I didn't love the song as much as I used to, but I do now. And October Morning Wind, which is the song I wanted to mention, that's one of my all-time favorite Karabi songs. The harmonizing on that is perfect. There's actually an acoustic version that they recorded for um, the live record that came out the, the next year. I want to say it was like a BBC session or something. Uh, it's featured on their live record, Live from the Galaxy. Um, I actually think that live recording is better than the studio version on this album. Um, but their live vocals are just incredible together. Um, there's a couple of great videos on YouTube too of that song you can find. But that's one of the highlights of it for me. It kind of reminds me of like it's very Zeppelin-y. Um, as you mentioned, there's like a lot of 70s stuff combined with 90s. And that song reminds me of a Zeppelin type song from the 70s. I just love the riff um, that Bruce wrote for it. Um, so that's definitely one of the highlights for me. Did you guys like that song at all? Yeah, I like the 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 Zeppelin esque feel of that acoustic. Um, uh, and the harmonies are great. You just you just don't hear that with bands of this type very often. Um, so, yeah, I, I I had that amongst my you know favorite songs on the on the record. Yeah, and that's probably what I love so much about it. It combines the best of 70s like arena rock with like 90s alt grunge, I guess. Yeah. Like it's kind of like uh it's kind of like combining those two and it's really the best of both worlds. I mean, it's got it's got stomping choruses. Um I mean, I think it's the song uh Heavy D, I think it's that song where it's got a really it's got like a kind of a screamy kind of chorus with it. We can kind of scream along to it. Um, or no, maybe it's get off my cloud. I'm thinking of. I think it's get off my get off my cloud. I have to yeah. say, I, yeah, I, I was think it's that one. I was confused the first time I looked at the track list. I was looking through the song titles, and I said, "Okay, get off my cloud, Tangerine, Oh Darling." I was like, "Wait a minute, is that a Rolling Stone, a Led Zeppelin, and a Beatles cover all in the back half of this record?" <laughs> and then I realized it was get, it, the Stones is get off of 
off of my cloud, not get off my cloud. And it's not a cover of Tangerine. Uh, but I was real confused for a minute <laughs> when I was looking at the song titles. Yeah, uh, but Krabi, Krabi is such a huge fan of 70s rock that I'm not surprised that sometimes if those things are intentional. Well, that's and that's what I think warmed me to this record pretty quickly was. Yes, there are touches of of what you call classic rock, although technically Alice in Chains would be classic rock now, too, anyways. Um, but of 70s classic rock um, and 90s classic rock. That's depressing to say. <laughs> I know. Uh, but it's very seamless. Like, there isn't like a blatantly, like, they didn't write a blatantly 70s riff where you're like, oh, that sounds exactly like what Zeppelin would sound like. Or, or exactly, you know, there's nothing that sounds like Sea of Sorrow on here. Yeah. And so it's just a nice combo of those two things um, that I, I sometimes forget that Krabi also plays guitar. But it's those two guys, you know, playing guitar. And he's not just a guy strumming an acoustic, you know, chords on acoustic. He can actually play. Yeah, he plays some interesting, like, counter. Some of the parts are simple, but they're cool chord choices against the riffs. All yeah. Down Wise is a good example. And I think mm-hmm. the... I'll go back to the drumming again for... And, and probably the bass playing in terms of why it doesn't go too far into the 70s. Like, even... um when you hear like the Zeppelin, you know, like you might hear something on guitar where you're like, Ooh, that feels like Zeppelin or even big rack. Um, but the drums are not doing the bottom, you know, or a 70s style drum thing. They're doing more of a nineties, I think approach to drumming. I mean, they're super competent. You could probably play anything, but that's where the, it never goes too far one way or the other. It's like this constant push and pull back and forth because the whole pay- band is sort of, if one, go- if one person's going with this influence, the other one's trying to pull it back in another direction, which I think help keep, keeps it grounded in its own kind of thing. And that, um, I, think, I think that's why it works so well because there's so many, so many great parts of both that it's kind of like an amalg- amalgamation of it where it's, you hear this there, you hear that there, but it sound, it works so well together. And these guys, when they did this record, they were older than the 90s bands. I mean, these guys were, what, 10 years older than the majority of the 90s bands at the time? So they were pulling different influences that those bands, like Alice in Chains, were not pulling from. So you know, right. you're going to get different sounds like that. I, I do have to disagree with you slightly, and I'll start my what didn't work. I, I think the drums are totally on point. But they're not that creative to me. Like there are times where I hear fills and parts, and I'm like, oh, that could have been more interesting." Hmm. Like they're very. It sounds like a very good studio drummer. Um, that I could not pick out of a lineup. Like yeah. I, hope, I hope I hope Brent's not listening to this, or we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> no, I, I, no, that's an incredibly difficult skill because you're right. Like a lot of the right. times, those guys are writing for radio, and right. to get on radio, you, I mean, you got to be perfect, and you got to come up with something that's serving the song, but also interesting. And I think that I think that it's a completely legit rock record performance. I just from my like listening. Um, 
you know, preferences. I was just like looking for, I didn't need Zach Barocas from yeah. Jawbox. I didn't need, you know, crazy polyrhythms or anything like that. I just wanted like, just maybe do a weird thing here and there that I'm not expecting. Um, and that just didn't, it didn't happen f- for me. I hear you on that. It's like, I think it makes a lot of, of the right choices for the song. Mm-hmm. But I also agree that sometimes with rock music, it's cool to like push the boundaries a little bit more. And like the drums don't do that. They don't ever say like, Hey, here's a totally different way to approach this. It's going to like mess with your head for a minute. You know, uh, that never do happens. You th- do you think them being a new band and never playing live at the time of the recording may have had something to do with that? Mm, possibly, but I, it's also, I mean, he's an incredible drummer, but mm-hmm. he's, he's a replacement drummer, right? I mean, this is what yeah. he does. His specialty is to, play, is to play like other people, whether it be the hundred drummers Alice Cooper's had or the, you know, right. the, all the drummers that Slash has had, like he's got to sound like all those people. So uh that it feels like that's kind of what's going on here it's kind of a hey we want to i don't know i want to i have no idea what the conversations were but it feels like there was an attempt to like hey let's make sure the drums are like contemporary and sound modern and you know we want to go for that kind of feel and then bruce is going to bring what bruce does and we'll, we'll make all this work too. and it does for this i think from a songwriting standpoint i don't have any issues with it at all yeah, it's more of like a performant performant light my hair on fire <laughs> where I'm like, oh, man, that was badass. You know, like what would this what would this sound like if Tommy Lee played drums? Yeah, it, I, in the 90s, not very good, but <laughs> OK, well, well, well Mot- 1994, Motley yeah. 94 is one of his best drum performances right. on, on record. Right. So, so what if this was the follow up and, and these were and this was the songs and he was playing drums? I just I think there would have been a slightly bit more. Yes. Inventiveness with, with Tommy. Yeah. I wasn't going to stick like, you know, uh, drummers that would be out. Like, I'm not saying like, let's get Matt Cameron, but yeah. And you, well, you, I think what you're hitting on too, is like one of the reasons why I like the 94 record, the Motley Crue 94 record so much is the performances. I mean, they are just jamming. Like they are just playing their asses off. And some of this, I mean, from a songwriting standpoint, I mean, those are not singles on that record. You know, it's just, no. they are just writing rock music that they're feeling and just <clears throat> playing their hearts out. And the drums are a big part of that. And, and that's why, that's why it's, that. that's why it's so loved so many, so many years later, because yeah. it's not, it wasn't made for radio. It's one of those records you can go back and it's still fresh. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great. Is there anything that doesn't work for you on the record, Jay? Um, it's really about, I think for me, Karabi's songwriting, I think he's, he can be really good. He can also be very middle of the road and not super hooky. Um, so I think there's some songs on here where like pain behind your eyes sounds like a Gene's nineties, Gene Simmons kiss song. Another friend has come and left you It's getting hard to reckon 
kind of does. I, I do love that song, but I guess it kind of does. Like I could totally hear them handing him that song. But I, I love I love some Gene Simmons 90s stuff. So, you know, <laughs> uh, let it flow. Awesome. I like the sound of that, but just it doesn't have the hook. Um, Empty Souls, another example. Robin song is probably the best example of what I mean, where that to me, that just sounds like if you asked AI to write, like write the acoustic song on a hard rock album, like it's so generic sounding. Um, <laughs> it's just cow- a, a bunch of sequences of cowboy chords thrown together and him singing over top. Um, cowboy chords. <laughs> I think that's the only song that John wrote by himself on the record. I think everything else was collaborative, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And I also wanted to mention, it looks like the producer had co-writes on all the songs too, yeah. which I didn't really know that until this week when I was looking Same up. Same with the second record, I noticed. The, co- the producer of that record has co-writes. It's a different producer, and he has a co-write on every song. I wonder is- how much... The guy's name is Kurt Cuomo. I wonder how much... I know he has connections with Kiss and stuff. I just wonder how much songwriting he was doing was he recommending things as a producer or was he actually coming up with parts like that would be a great i'm really curious you know how that was how that was done because i would imagine the majority of the structure of the songs came from bruce and john but yeah you know i don't know um just so you guys know the label that did the reissues is called deco you can check them out at decoentertainment.com. You want to know what else they've put out reissues of this year? Or or, or I don't know if they're all reissues, but um, take some guesses. I Well, I went on there to order the reissues for Union, but I didn't look at any of the other stuff. So Shark I Island. I don't think. Do I know Shark Island? Did you guys cover that record or something? No, that's, but that's it. in the 80s. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. Uh, some Donnie V. Some... What else is on here? There's like a lot of a lot of Donnie V. Maybe it's Donnie V's label. <laughs> uh, then there's like Sepultura. And 10 years after, like there's, it's such a it's such a bizarre, mm. like mishmash of things. The, the vibrators. Like, it's it's Cannibal Corpse is on here. Like what? Huh. This- <laughs> I'm sure these bands all have their audiences still especially sepultura those guys i saw them with pantera back in like 96 and they had they had a bunch of people that were into them so i'm sure they still have their their fan base you know that buys up those records sure um is there anything doesn't work on the record for you dewey um hmm. i mean the production in my opinion while it works i wish it was a little better like sometimes i feel like it's a little raw or rough at times um you got to remember hearing bob rock's motley 94 which in my opinion sounded incredible going from that to this was a bit of a it kind of fell off a bit um so i wish the production was better um but i still think it's i'm not holding that i still love the album to death um it just was a change of sound for sure going from bob rock to this um but um i don't know no i really don't have any I, i love it i mean out of the two records i think it's their strongest um, comparing this to Blue Room, I do love Blue Room a lot, um, but I still think this is the the better record um, of the two. And um, no, really don't have any any negatives for me. Um, I wanted to say Tangerine um, might be. I don't know if you guys would agree, but I think it might be one of the catchiest songs in the record, at least yes. in the top two or three. Um, it starts out with this like 
raging guitar solo. Yeah. And it just like kicks in. Like it's a spiral of it's a spiral of like riffs that it just comes in hard. And the chorus is just so I mean, if there was ever to be a song that would catch, I thought that may have been it, but I don't yeah, think it was that that's I thought the same thing. It was yeah. the hey, if I can only play one song from this album to explain it to somebody, it's it's that song. I think it it's the most seamless marriage of all the different things we talked about where it really feels like okay this gelled and it it rocks cool guitar stuff tucky and that that mix of like dark and light that we talked Mm -hmm. about is really well balanced so i agree that's a good good track yeah and that's another highlight on their live record that came out the next year because that's that's the same story when they released their live record metal edge did an article on it you know unions releasing i think it was metal edge and i think kiss had a fan magazine i think those are the only two publications that ever covered anything on union in the 90s like unless you were reading these things you had no idea this band even existed uh because their shows i think 50 people went to their shows i mean it was like yeah one of those things where if you if you knew about it you knew about it but not everybody did um but metal edge i remember doing an article about them releasing a live record and ironically enough deco is going to be uh announcing a pre-sale for that in the next couple weeks so for anybody listening if they're a fan of this record and they want to hear some of it live check out their facebook because i'm sure it'll be announced really soon um but tangerine fucking kills live i mean it's great it's one of the best parts of the live record next to october morning wind um so i could definitely see that as being one of their you know one of the highlights of seeing them live i never got to see them live unfortunately i didn't go see them uh back they played detroit there was a venue up there called the um oh now it's escaping my mind it was a really dirty venue i went to in the early 2000s um I wanted to ask you if you guys were at this venue because you would you would have remembered it. If you give me a second, I will look up the venue. But they played this venue in '98, and I was not able to go for some reason. It may have been work related or school related, but um, I never got to see them live. But from what I've heard from friends, they were a great live band. Um, let's see. While you look that up, yeah, I, I want to share this little tidbit here. So th- this album, like you just got, was released on vi- was actually released on vinyl by this tiny label back in in '98. So, because it was released by a tiny label, obviously they're rare. Mm-hmm. Not always rare things are valuable, though. Let me explain. This album on Discogs sold for $12 in 2016. If you were to try to buy it today, that same in near mint for $12. There is one available for sale today, and it's four hundred and fifty dollars. You're talking about the first press of the first Union album, yeah. Holy crap! Yep. Motley ninety four has gone in, uh, up and up and up in value as well. I mean, it was it was a hundred. It was in the hundred dollar range like ten years ago, and then in the past five years, it shot up two, three, four, five hundred plus now. Well, there's only the been five sales of recorded of this record on discogs and if the first one was 25 then 12 then 14.99 then 44.99 and then the last one sold for 200 dollars. so someone's jacked it up something that's some serious inflation right there to go from uh from 200 three years ago to 450 for a 1998 oh album 
I know they're hard to find. I remember I remember hearing about it when I started collecting vinyl, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, but um, never, never thought to to pick it up. I'm glad that they they've been talking about these reissues for a long time. Um, I follow Bruce on Facebook. Do you guys follow Bruce by any chance? He posts a lot of great stuff on social media. Um, no. He's very he's very interactive with fans. He'll reply to people. He'll kind of keep people on on what's going on. He plays in Grand Funk now. That's like his yeah. gig. Yeah. But oh. um, he still caters to the Kiss fans because if you ever he always does a lot of retrospective posts. Um, he just did one for Revenge a couple months ago that was really cool. He actually put a whole video together. But he he'd post about Union quite a bit, and he'll talk about the recording sessions and he'll talk about the records. And he's uh, he's been telling people for at least five years that they were getting these reissues ready. And I guess they finally found Deco to do it because I don't think they were able to find anybody until they until they got in touch with this Deco Entertainment, which I had never heard of. So it all worked out. But I'm glad that they're finally out there. I follow him. Uh, I think on Twitter, I'm pretty. I stay pretty up to date with what he's doing, and he has a pretty great Kiss cover band that does some of the Kiss conventions. I think Brent Fitz plays drums in that band. Yeah, I know that John has showed up at a couple and they've done some union stuff. I think yep. they just did one in Indy either right before COVID or maybe last year. They did one in Indy. I've never been to a KISS convention. I'm not that big of a KISS fan to do that. Um, but from what I've seen on YouTube, they're pretty awesome when John yeah, shows I've up. Only, yep, I've only ever seen them on YouTube, but the band is super tight and goes back to union. And I think Bruce's wife even sings with him. I've seen her get up on stage and sing with him. Like they'll do kiss songs. I think they did. Um, oh, I can't remember what they did. One of the songs from the unplugged record and she was singing the lead on it. And uh, by the way, I found the name of the venue. It was called Harpo's. Did you guys ever go to Harpo's in what city? Detroit. Maybe. It's, I know so, that name. I, that name sounds very familiar. Yeah, sounds familiar. Really, really, really bad neighborhood. Like literally you get out of your car and you're like, I don't want to get shot walking to the show. Like just really, really bad neighborhood. <laughs> Ironically, my first show at Harpo's was Vince Neil solo in 2002. Um, but union did play there a couple times in the late nineties and I just couldn't make it. But one of the worst places to see a show, I mean, just horrible sound, <laughs> really, really bad neighborhood. If anybody's listening from Detroit, uh, they know exactly what I'm referring to. And I think it's still there. I think I know, I know Sebastian Bach played there a couple of years ago when he did the uh, 30th for the self-titled Skidder record. I remember seeing it pop up and I was like, Harpo's is still there. Like who goes to Harpo's? I'm surprised which, which bars so there's one in, in Indianapolis called the melody Inn. that if you had asked me if it would survive 30 years or whatever it is, I would say no way. And it's still there. And these are like the cockroach. The cockroach yep. clubs that just never go away. Even Bernie's couldn't survive here in Columbus. Yeah, it eventually true. got obliterated. Hey, uh, yeah. let's get into our overall ratings for this record. We will share the results from our Patreon poll at the end. But Jay, where are you at with this record? Is it a worthy album? Is it a better EP or a decent single? It's grown. It's grown on me. Um, I was at, I think the first couple listens, I was at more of an EP, but I've I've worked my way to an album as I spent more time with it. Um, I like uh, everything except for "Pain Behind Your Eyes." It's okay. "Let It Flow" is okay. "Empty Souls" okay. And "Robin Song" is not good. Um, 
So I think that puts me at like eight tracks, which is, uh, and the ones I don't love, I think musically are very, very interesting um, and a lot of fun. There's just not sort of all there in terms of vocally and the the hook, but uh, I'm going to wear the album. Where'd you land him? I'm like you. I, it took me like a number of spins and to really get into it. And then also listening with headphones and cranking it helped like making, making this a loud rock record really helped me enjoy it. Um, I'm with you in that. I would dump um, pain behind the eyes, um, empty soul and Robin song. Um, I think you had one or two other ones, but I, I, I mean, that's a eight or nine song album and I would be happy with that. Um, I know there was some bonus material on the, the final reissue, so maybe something could fill in from there. But uh, yeah, I th- definitely think this is a worthy album and, and people should check it out. Dewey? Um, yeah, obviously I would have it at a worthy album. I'm, I'm a little surprised you guys don't like Pain Behind Your Eyes. I remember that being one of my early favorites when I first heard it. It was a lot of the quiet loud that was really big in the nineties. I think that's probably why I loved it so much when I first heard it. Um, Cause it's got that collective soul December riff that somebody said, which is kind of funny now that, now that I'm never going to not hear that now. <laughs> yeah. That, that's well, once you hear it, it's like, Oh, once no. you hear that. And then you imagine Gene Simmons singing the chorus, you'll never hear the song again. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember really liking that early on. I mean, as the years go on, I, I still don't skip it. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites on the album, but I remember liking that early on. Um, but yeah, definitely a worthy record. I'm really excited to check out the, um, the B side material. There's a song that I think it's called for you. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, it was on the Japanese you, yeah. issue of this. So for you is actually sung by Bruce and, um, it's on YouTube and I actually just listened to it tonight because I was like, well, maybe I should listen to that just in case it happens to come up. So tonight was the first time I heard for you. And it's a really cool track. I really liked it a lot with Bruce singing. Um, so I'm really glad that they put that on uh, in the bonus content because it's great. So, yeah, I loved it. So it's definitely a really record for me. I wish this band um, lasted longer than they did. They formed and I guess they formed in 97, but they didn't start playing until 98. And then they were done by like, oh, one. I want to say oh, one was the last year they toured um, for the Blue Room. And then they were done. And I think it was mainly because of. I mean, how long can you go when there's no one coming to your shows and no one's buying the records, you know? I mean, I, I get it. I, it especially because they're all pros. Like, it, right. it's not like a bunch of young guys who are just starting out and like scrappy and like, we're going to do it till we make it. Like, these are all pros who are doing a project together. Yeah. And if it's not going to work out, it's not going to work out. Well, and they're all, uh, at least Fitz and um, Bruce Kulik have got paying gigs they can, they can then go to that, you know. I think a lot more steady income than trying to make this work. I think John joined rat shortly after this. If I recall, he played guitar and rat for a number of years on tour, but all these guys found gigs with the bigger established artists in, in the, uh, you know, in the scene, like Alice Cooper, obviously slash right. Rat. So it just kind of makes sense when you got to pay the bills. Like I completely get it. And John Karabi, um, I'm not sure if you guys know much about his his life or what you know what happened to him after the Motley Crew days ended, but he was definitely kind of hurting for money a bit. So yeah. I'm not sure if he blew it all when he was in the band, or if he I I, I know he lost a lot in a divorce around that time. 
I think in the nineties, but the guy was really, really hurting for money. So, you know, I can kind of see wanting to wrap this up if it wasn't going anywhere, if it wasn't being profitable, profitable for them as a band. So, right. But in my opinion, I mean, I think it's some of the best stuff John's done. I, I love the Scream album he did. That would be another great one that we can talk about someday. Um, have you guys heard the Scream record that he was a part of? It came out in 91. I have not. I've gone back and, and listened to it. I remember when it came out, um, getting a little buzz. And, but yeah, that's, that's another one that would be a good one to, to, to look at. Um, Maybe next year I can pick that one or something, but it would, maybe uh, not. I probably want to stay off the tri- trifecta. Yeah, maybe I want to stay off the Karabi thing. I try to think <laughs> of something different. I did Collective Soul last year. I'm like, well, what's different than I'll, I'll go to John Karabi? This actually came up a couple times years ago in polls. Uh, so either other people oh. suggested it, either other people suggested it, yeah. I didn't, or maybe you guys put it in there, but it's come up in polls and it's never won. Which is always my, pissed my me guess off. is Scott Witt suggested it because he said it's a great album. Maybe but I might be wrong. It must. It was at least three or four years ago. Yeah, I remember the album the cover coming up because I was like, "Are those bats? Like, what's going on there?" <laughs> One of these days, you guys are going to run out of records to say, "Would you like to see this reviewed?" Because there's only so many records that came out in oh, a no. decade. Oh no! You're gonna. You you're gonna. No idea. <laughs> we One thought day, the same gonna... thing ten years ago, and here we are. We're stuck. You're gonna go. You're like, oh, we don't we have any leave. more albums that we can post about. What are we going to do? do we we have so out. many albums. We're now voting every yeah. week. Oh, my God. We could probably have a daily vote. And we could probably have a daily podcast. Yeah, I know <laughs> that you guys always have your ear mapped out based on the roundtables and the um, recommended. And the, yeah, I mean, how many do you actually get to pick yourselves per year? Like two or three? One, if, if, if there's a... Uh, weird Schedule. scheduling hiccup issue yeah but we'll, we'll pivot we did that what uh two weeks ago we did um dishwalla dish, yeah but yeah that's the first one we picked in years right tim yeah we haven't had a pick in a couple years because we're wow. just so we, we're just so packed with with the round tables with the poll episodes and then with our patrons picking um we just we haven't been able to do our own picks in fact it was a it was a bit of like deer in headlights we're like well we could pick a record and it was like oh god we whoa, both kind of like <laughs> froze for a minute like how do we pick a record we actually ended up turning it into a vote i was like well why don't you give me three and i'll pick three and then i'll just throw them up on discord and we'll have everybody pick today neither of us wanted the responsibility actually we're like no it's too (laughs) it's it's too demanding i still don't know and this is another one that i've always wanted i still don't know how the first oleander record has ever come up because that was a huge rock record i wouldn't say huge because it had two moderately successful singles but it was pretty loved in the late 90s, and it's still loved. And that's always been one that I, I think I'm going to choose. But I always say, no, I'm not going to do that this year. Literally for the past five years, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that this year. But I'm a little surprised that one hasn't come up yet uh, in any polls, or there hasn't been any conversation of Oleander at all on any post at all, which is kind of... Are you guys familiar with Oleander? I remember them. I remember yeah. them. Um, for some reason, I get them mixed up with Econoline Crush, and I'm sure they're not even the same band. Or even sound the same, but well, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not the same band. I, well, I'm, I'm they, I mean, they're not in the same genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, yeah, um, that's one of those that I've never seen ever brought up, and it just blows me away because it's one of my favorite albums from 1998. I think it was 98 or was it 99? One of those years. Well, don't show um, your cards on your next pick. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, but but that's that's the thing that's been in my head, and then I always think, oh, I want to do this one more. 
or I want to do this one more. And the funny thing is about my review last year, which was Collective Souls Discipline Breakdown. A year later, the band decided to do this whole full-blown reissue deluxe treatment. They they released this amazing double CD with an entire live show from 1997, which for somebody who loved that record as much as me is like a gold mine because there's very little stuff from that tour available. Um, digitally remastered it, put out a red vinyl on Record Store Day this year. I mean, they went all all out for that record, which is really surprising to me because as we discussed last year, that's you know that album, even though it was big at the time, they still only play one song from it live. That's it. It's kind of like forgotten about, in my opinion, to the band. So it kind of blew me away that they did all that for that record. So I was really happy when that came out a couple of weeks ago. So, which was neat. Neat to see. I saw that when I was out doing my Record sh- Store Day shopping. Oh yeah, you saw that in the shelf. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there was too many people buying it, except me and maybe three other people. But, I I um, was I had a very limited budget, and I was really just going for the Prince record, um, the Gold Experience, because uh, that was not you could not get that on vinyl. You still can't. I mean, yeah, it's impossible. It was only a CD release, I think, in the nineties. Oh wow! I don't really um, know too much about Prince, but that's cool. Um, let's give our results from Patreon for our poll on this record. 56% went worthy album, 33% better EP and 11% went decent single. So a champion, it's not a runaway, but, but the most, most of the folks went worthy album or better EP. So I would say that that's a overwhelmingly positive response to this release that most people did not know based on their comments they were uh, coming into this blind as i was so got some some converts there who uh are are ready to join the union i jay the, did you steal that from them is that what happened here i'm i'm mute your microphone sir he's still muted you're still muted Still talking, and he's still muted. He can't Sorry. unmute him. My eyes are burning. Oh, I had to, I had to take a break here. I got he's it. Chop, he's chopping onions. Stop, you, you can't. You can't be cutting onions now. Sorry, <laughs> I, I got a attack of pollen here. Give me a minute. All right. Well, we got to thank say, Dewey. I will thank say this: my my streak, my my streak so far of however many records we've reviewed have all been worthy albums. So I just want to let you know, still still riding that streak pretty strong. So yeah, hopefully somebody's compiling oh. that info so we can we can see we could create a rating system. Maybe we could start doing like this record gets five Deweys. Sometimes I hear you guys review suggestions, and sometimes you tear down stuff. It's always those are always the best episodes to listen to because the guest is always really really quiet. Like, <laughs> why did I and, do uh, this? Yeah, those are always fun to listen to. <laughs> we do not do it with any ill intent no not at all it's good that you're honest for sure i mean i never thought about the drumming performance on this record to be honest with you because it never it was i guess you're right because it never really it's nothing incredible but it's not bad it's just right. there but it's i there. never once thought about it i guess that would be why it never stood out to me um well that's why we're here doing yeah exactly I, like <laughs> for said, the minutia the, the great things about this record were john and bruce combined yeah. and that's what that's what makes it great um, yep. So for anybody that loved John Karabi and Motley or even the, the Daisies and that maybe they haven't heard Union or um, The Scream, um, I highly recommend listening to this. And yeah, Bruce sounds terrific, too. So 
glad we could talk about it today. Yes. Well, if uh, you listening out there would like to be like Dewey and suggest an album that you think is worthy of us checking out, you can do that a couple different ways. Number one, you can join us at Patreon. Join our special union, our our gang of of union members who help us pick records, who chat in our Discord about all kinds of stuff. You guys tell me tell me about Discord. I've never signed up for it. Steven's been trying to get me on there it's for a, like it's two a message years. board. I mean, it's, is it's it like, is it a mobile a pr- app? I've never well, been. I, yeah, I'm you can use old. it on your phone, or you can use it on a desktop. And it's basically like a it's a message board where it's private. Only the people who are patrons hang out there. So it's all music talk every day, all day about all and, kinds of and stuff. Other stuff that other stuff. You know people our age talk about you know I've, i remember stuff. hearing you guys say that there was a big our lady peace discussion and i felt like really left out because i love that band at least i used to love there's that a band. whole our lady peace channel yeah yeah there's just so that's <laughs> like, like it's basically like a message board but it's broken into little individual message boards so there's like an our lady peace mini message board and there's a you know bands from ohio mini message board you mean in the dig me out channel yes yeah. so tim and really? i just like notice like Hey, there's a huge thread. Everybody talking about Our Lady Peace. Let's make an Our Lady Peace channel. Huh? So there's a failure channel. There's no a... shit. Yeah, Kelly, the hell Kelly's am I not in What are you? What are you doing? Ke- Kelly oh. Scott's a member of our failure failure channel. Get in there. Oh, right that's now. crazy. I didn't know that. Give him a hard time. Yeah. Maybe I should sign up for it. I we, just, we, it's just one for of those some apps. reason we we like to give Kelly a hard time. Uh, for he, things out he... of his control. Does he actually like talk and stuff and say stuff on every once? I mean, obviously yeah. they're on tour now, so he's not. He's busy, but every once in a while he'll pop. He would pop in and say say something. Yeah, uh, for anybody listening, we were talking about failure for like fifteen minutes before we started recording. <laughs> so this is just coming back to that. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, that's really cool to hear that he's a part of that. That's yeah. Neat. So, I, so please, yes, join us uh, at the union or at, I mean at the Discord because that's where the chat happens. And um, if you're unfamiliar folks out there listening with Discord, it's basically it's a message board. Let's just. It's simple, but it's uh, it's nice. It's private. We keep it polite, nice. There's yeah, no, it's like, kind. There's no, there's no flaming. There's no trolling, there's no trolling or, flaming or 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 or, cool. or 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 bullying. We don't put up with any of that, and and everybody's. We don't have to worry about it because everybody's cool. Good I initially idea. thought for some reason I initially thought it was like an aim chat room, like old school aim. Oh, just you thought like a live all day chat? long. Yeah, like all day long. It just, just me and Jay just monitoring every yeah, like 50 grown would, men all day as they chat. And then I would check it six hours later and I know I missed something important that I would have to spend all oh. night scrolling looking oh, for this. No. So that's probably why I never there's, signed up for it. There's some of that. I mean, some well, of the channels are pretty active. Yeah, um, if there's an active channel, you will have to scroll back because I mean there's a lot, of, but there some of them are getting a couple of posts a week. It's not like a back and forth dialogue every day. What was the last great like thread and in, in the Discord that we can tell listeners about that they need to sign up and read read it? Like, what was oh, the last geez. great? Can you think of one that you really like, really enjoyed that? Because now I'm kind of looking forward to going on there and seeing. Well, there's one like, on uh, Rich Waterman sent us articles on Union. There's, okay, cool. Uh, yep, your dailies so that relates to this of reviews and the sleaze rocks review and he gave us a homework assignment to read before this <laughs> oh cool okay uh there's, i mean but we also have non-music stuff like there's a gardening channel 
because some of us are into gardening and there's a workout channel because some people are into exercise. There's a beer and and liquor channel. Uh, there's a food channel. <laughs> there's the now watching so we can figure out what shows to watch. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Awesome. I will definitely get on there. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm at that age. I'm 41 now, a little bit younger than you guys, but I'm at that age where I really don't want to add more apps to my phone unless I really need them, you know, type thing. Well, the so, nice thing about this one is um, you might delete some apps after you add this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, certain... you're like, yeah, you, you might find, I don't, I don't want to say for sure, but you might find like, hey, I like talking to these folks about music more than I like spending time doom scrolling on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. So, yes. But yeah. Uh, just go to your, on Patreon, go to your benefits tab and there's a link that will give you an invite. Cool. Interested. Awesome. I need to uh, wrap us up here. So Take I'm going to say the box newsletter you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com comes to you every week an email via electronic mail uh, with new releases of 80s and 90s relevant music, movies, television, books, and two reviews of recent new releases. It's also where you go to suggest an album. You get by going to the Suggest an album page, drop it in the form. It goes into our now weekly polls that turn into a, a monthly showdown. And uh, that's where our patrons get to vote. And then last but not least, Apple Podcast is where you go to leave some feedback, preferably nice feedback, uh, on this podcast. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.